In the wake of controversial new legislation, Bill C-18, Meta has announced that it will be ending news sharing on its platforms in Canada. So today, for a special bonus episode of Lean Out that is part of our summer media series, my guest will be here to react to that news and to give his analysis on what it might mean for our news sector going forward. Michael Geist is a professor and the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law at the University of Ottawa. He's also the host of the Law Bites podcast. Michael Geist is my guest today on Lean Out. Michael, welcome back to Lean Out. Oh, thanks for having me again. It has been a year since we last spoke. And since that time, the Canadian media uh, has really spiraled into a kind of crisis. So I did a Q&A with uh, Black Locks Holly Doan last weekend. She described uh, this as we're about to hit bottom. You've been covering the legislation around the media for many months now on your podcast and your website, hearing from a range of guests, Mark Edge, Monica Auer, Chris Waddell, who did such a fantastic job of laying out how complex this issue is. Um, just to start today, before we get to C-18, how would you characterize the moment that the Canadian media currently finds itself in? Oh, well, first off, thanks for having me. In, and it's it's a good way to start. You know, I, I, I think that, you know, crisis is the word that's often used. But I think there's different kinds of crises depending on which media we're talking about. You know, if we're talking about some of the legacy providers, uh, they've clear, they're clearly struggled. They've struggled to adapt. They've put essentially a big bet in this legislation even though even most even within the sector will acknowledge that this isn't going even if it even if the companies themselves the big tech companies decided to cooperate and continue to link and pay it still wouldn't be a fulsome solution but nevertheless they seem to make a big bet on government intervention through this legislation I think the the crisis for many of the smaller independent players is of a different sort. It is the legislation that is the source of the crisis, because I think many have, you know, found audiences, found business models, and you know, when the government often talks about the number of closures and lost jobs, they rarely reference that the same studies highlight hundreds of new entities that have have started over that same period of time creating new jobs. You know, nowhere near replacement level to be sure, but it's early days. And for many of those entities, this legislation is viewed in many respects, I think, almost as an existential threat that the, the likely outcome from the legislation will make it very difficult to continue to do business. So I think we've got any number of entities in the sector facing crises, but they're not, not all of the same variety. Mm. And it, this is an interesting week to be talking about Bill C-18. Um which you warned back in February on your site that everyone loses when the government mandates payments for links. Meta has announced this week that it is officially ending news availability in Canada on in Instagram and Facebook. The new heritage minister, Pascal Saint-Ange, has said in a statement that the government will stand its ground. But as you pointed out on Twitter, the Liberal Party just launched a series of new ads on Facebook this week. You wrote uh, today on your site, it is difficult to overstate the harm that Bill C-18 will create for the media sector in Canada. Uh, we've just talk, been talking about that a little bit. Can you can you drill down on, on what that might look like? Sure. I, and I think that, that the harms that's going to come out of this legislation continues to be really underestimated. You know, so at first blush, some will say, well, so what? 
So Facebook won't link to news articles and, you know, big deal. Life goes on. People can still access the information in other ways. And while that is certainly true, I think it fails to recognize a number of harms that arise out of this legislation. First is those free referrals. And during the Senate hearings, we had there were a number of entities that appeared before the Senate that said that uh, upwards of 30 percent of their traffic might come from social media led by Facebook. So take away that traffic. And for many sites, it's tough to go on. Continue if Google follows down the same path. And we had some say that 40, up to 40% of their traffic was coming out of search. And you just don't have a business anymore if you lose 70% of your referral traffic, all of which was coming for free from these various platforms. And, you know, seemed to be a reasonably equitable approach in terms of free flow of traffic onto those sites. And yet, you know, the interference of the legislation has obviously caused a huge amount of upheaval in that regard. But it's not just the lost links. There were deals for all the talk of these the notion that these companies weren't prepared to pay, the reality was that they did have any number of deals worth millions of dollars. It may well be that some of it was a function of seeing the legislation on the horizon and looking to strike some of those deals. But regardless of the reason, companies, media companies were benefiting from this. And those will be gone as well, because you can't, on the one hand, say that you're stopping to link and at the same time continue with these deals. So that's lost. And then you have the legislation itself, which the government had touted as potentially raising hundreds of millions of dollars. Parliamentary budget officer talked about $330 million and 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 a committee appearance at the Senate just before the end of the bill said that that might even have to be revised upward, given that the legislation encapsulated even more entities along the way through some of the amendments that took place. So we're talking about a lot of money. As it stands now, if certainly with Meta out, there is no revenue coming from that company. Uh, if Google follows suit, there's no money coming, period. The legislation literally will not apply to any internet platform. There will be no money coming out of the legislation. So it's it's hard to fathom a, a worse scenario whereby you lose the value of the links, which some have estimated is the hundreds of millions of dollars. You lose the existing deals and you have legislation that just doesn't generate anything at all. And in terms of sort of the independence of our press, um, this is something that you were warning about over the last few months and also about the free exchange of ideas. So in your Senate testimony, for example, Senator Wallen raised this point that free expression and the free exchange of ideas is not just about what you can say, but also what you can hear. What are your concerns for for the exchange of information in this country going forward? Yeah, I mean, listen, my concern with this legislation from day one was not whether or not the tech companies might be required to find some mechanism, we might find some mechanism to force them to contribute to the sector. You know, I, I think, frankly, if the view is that these companies aren't paying their fair share, then we ought to make sure that they do pay their fair share. And the obvious way is to tax them. We think that even those tax mechanisms aren't aren't the best way to do it. And we want special funding programs similar to what we have in film and television production. And we can explore that. And it seemed to me the companies were reasonably open to that possibility. They might argue about the amount, but nevertheless, the structure itself was fine. Where I took issue with this legislation really from the from its inception was in the notion of mandated payments for links, which I see linking to information as being central to the free flow of information online. And the government essentially saying that certain links had were contained enough value that they required compensation, I think really puts that basic principle at risk. 
And and we should be clear in this instance, it's sometimes people don't even believe me when I talk about this, but you know, the government on the one hand says that that links have value and need to be compensated, but it's clearly not all links. It's in this case just certainly news links, and it's only news links on certain platforms. So links that that occur through Microsoft's products or through Apple News or through Twitter or X, uh, you know, those links somehow aren't aren't either aren't valuable or aren't required to be paid for. And, you know, that notion of value just doesn't make any sense where you say certain links have value. The same link, but on a different platform doesn't have any value. And once you say, once you ascribe the the notion that there is value to links that need to be paid for. Well, what makes media so special, right? I mean, people turn to the internet for health information, for education information. Those sectors could use money too. And so are we going to head down to a path where any linking requires compensation and suddenly the the system that we've really relied upon now for decades for access to information in large measure falls apart, at least in Canada, because we create a framework in which Linking to that information, directing people where to find something of of importance to them somehow requires payment by the person providing that information. It just doesn't make any sense. I wanted to ask you, too, about the legislative process for C-18. My understanding is the clause-by-clause review saw very little debate and was wrapped up quite quickly. What are your thoughts on, on the process side of this? Well, that's a great question. This was an awful process. And of course, there are two processes. There's what took place in the House, and then there's what took place in the Senate. The the House process was disastrous. Quite literally, there were just a handful of hearings, and government MPs, Liberal Party in particular, indicated they were ready to move on. Facebook or Meta hadn't even appeared yet, and they said, we're ready now for clause by clause. So Imagine that you've established legislation in which one of the two companies most directly affected by this isn't even given an opportunity to appear before committee. Now, they ultimately were after after there was a bit of reaction to the fact that, you know, when you looked at the long list of either independent experts or other stakeholders that hadn't been given an opportunity to speak out, they expanded the number of hearings and, and opened it a little bit, although there still were many that were excluded. But yet the reality was that it was just largely theater. And, you know, the the government MPs, for example, anytime there were any sort of proposed amendments that might seek to address some of the concerns, basically characterized whoever would raise that amendment, typically a conservative MP, as being a shill for big tech and would deny it. Despite the fact that now we have the government engaged in negotiations with at least Google around some of the same kinds of amendments that were being proposed back then. So the House was just an abject disaster where it was it was simply politics. There was very little interest in genuinely improving the bill and addressing the policy side. When we got to the Senate, it was a bit better, to be sure. And that's that was the same experience, I think, under Bill C-11, where you did have senators more open to actual engagement. And they did hear from a broader range of, of witnesses and, and put a bit more on the table. But the clause by clause was, I have to say, a pretty big disappointment. They got through the bill in a single day. Um, and it felt as if some of the senators who who I think knew better, who who throughout the process had raised real concerns about the legislation, it almost felt as if they'd given up, that they'd seen what had taken place in C-11, where the government had rejected even reasonable amendments dealing with the concerns back then around regulating user content. 
the writing was on the wall here. Just about everything was being rejected. The warning signals they were getting were being ignored. And it felt like they just were like, okay, we just got to move on. And nothing I do at this stage is going to change anything. But I have to say that my biggest takeaway from all of this came actually to come back to your very first question from the comments from several of the independent media companies who told the senators directly that if the bill passed in the in the in that form that it could cause them to shut down they said listen I, we've stopped hiring given the uncertainty this has caused this and is Vill- this is village media now this was you're... village media is an example they're not the only one the line raised concerns as well um we had, we had a number of players but village media certainly one of the most successful of the independent players was the most obvious in that regard jeff lg and it met with basically a collective shrug. It was like, well, whatever. And and the idea that that the government and unelected senators can play with the viability and future of these businesses strikes me as fundamentally wrong. No plan B, no acknowledgement that their legislative choices were creating real risks, simply a political calculus that they'd been heavily lobbied uh, by News Media Canada, that this might be playing well in Quebec. And so it was full steam ahead. And if this meant that they got to sort of play battle with these tech companies, then so much the better. Well, here we are a couple of months later, and so much the better is a world in which that we've the largest social media company in the world is creating a news desert in Canada over the next several weeks. And Google may well end up in the same space. And suddenly Canada becomes the preeminent example of what not to do from a digital policy perspective all in an environment that was predictable and predicted and for which the government, I have to say, they really just gave this collective shrug of who cares. I, I want to spend just a, a moment on on the CBC, my, my former employer, and you have argued that the CBC should not be included in this legislation. Walk me through your thinking on that. Sure. And, you know, note the CBC is one of the broadcasters that commented immediately uh, about the the loss of links on on Facebook. And and for me it's it's pretty straightforward. The CBC's mandate is to make its content as widely and broadly accessible to as many Canadians as possible, and that is why we as Canadians spend over a billion dollars a year to support it. Its goal is to facilitate access to its content, to make it available in as many ways as possible and as broadly available as possible. That is precisely what these platforms are doing. It is content that is already paid for by the public, and these platforms are ensuring greater facilitation of access to this content by by encouraging its dissemination. I think we could live without the CBC formally thanking those platforms for essentially doing its job for it and making its content more valuable to the public and essentially making the case for why the public should continue to support it. But even absent an actual thanks for doing so, the notion that it thinks it gets to line up at the trough and say, we want millions of dollars to be paid for links to the content that the public has already paid for strikes me as fundamentally wrong. And ultimately, one that I think the supporters of the CBC itself should recognize as fundamentally wrong. We're in we're in an environment where there's at least one political party that talks about defunding at least parts of the CBC. There's a great deal of skepticism more broadly from at least some Canadians about whether or not there is a, an ongoing need for a public broadcaster. I'm not one of them. I think there's real value there. But the way that you demonstrate value is you make sure it is as broadly and widely accessible to Canadians, as many Canadians as possible, without a paywall, without limitation, so that there is always a source of reliable news for Canadians. And yet with the CBC 
does by aligning itself with legislation that says, well, no, we deserve to to be paid for this content, even just for the when people link to it, when people make it more broadly accessible. Ultimately, I think it makes it seem as if the CBC is no different than any other broadcaster. And if that's the case, then why should the public be paying for it? And we we have just seen a cabinet uh, overhaul. And this cabinet shuffle has brought Pascal Saint-Ange onto the file. Uh, how do you see this cabinet shuffle impacting this file going forward? Yeah, I think if anything, it sends a signal that it's uh, at, at, at best status quo from the government. And if not, uh, I think there's a possibility that we'll even see things ramp up. You know, I've, I've never met uh, the new minister, but certainly know from a prior life before she became uh, a, a government MP and now a minister that she was very active on digital policy and within the Quebec cultural community had said well before uh, being elected, harshly critical things of tech companies. And there's nothing wrong with taking uh, with criticizing tech companies. It's well deserved in many instances, to be sure. But this is not someone who's there, who it feels like is there just trying to negotiate a deal. This is someone there who's there to, to hold the line or at least to have to to deal with the, the the consequences so that the former minister, Pablo Rodriguez, runs off and gets to do something else instead. So uh, I, I think in many ways it sends a signal that it is status quo. The, the early statements we've seen from the minister suggest that that, in fact, is the case. It's basically the same talking points. And I have to say they're, they're talking points that feel just completely empty to me. I mean, this idea of, you know, we're going to take on big tech and we're going to we're not going to cave on these issues. I'm assuming, I don't even know what that means. You know, other than saying that well, you're not prepared to change the legislation, even though we do know from reports that in fact the discussions with Google basically toss away many of the core principles that the government had said that they were committed to. They said they didn't want to negotiate, in fact they are negotiating with Google. The discussion the reports through the Globe and Media Globe and Mail and others suggest that those negotiations are about creating some sort of visibility for the company about what their liability would be. So suddenly now it's not a table with media on the one hand and Google and Facebook on the other. It's it's uh, Pascal Saint Ange or Pablo Rodriguez at the head of the table basically deciding how much they have to pay turning the CRTC into nothing more than a puppet of the government by basically dictating the CRTC that, yeah, you got to approve what they've done if they pay a certain amount. And so the principles of the legislation have been tossed aside. So for all the the tough talk, the realities, they've already started to cave in terms of what they're willing to do. But even even beyond that, you know, at the end of the day, the harm here is cuts across the board. It's harm to the media companies, as we talked about. There's harm to Canadians who, for those that do want to use social media to be able to, to discover new articles and link to them, they're not able to do that. Uh, it's harm certainly to the government in terms of the, the position that they have. And it's harm to the platforms. I mean, listen, platforms wouldn't be doing this if they uh, under if there was no legislation. They're doing it because the government set up a law that said, if you link, you pay. If you don't link, you don't. And so they've said, well, okay, we choose door B and we're not going to link. But, you know, nobody wins in this scenario. And so the idea that, okay, we're going to stand tough. Well, standing tough just means everybody loses. And I would think that the government stands really at the head of the class in that regard, uh, because these were the choices that it made. And it was warned and it ignored those warnings. And just looking to the future, uh, the online harms bill is on the horizon. You said on your podcast that this bill has the potential to be even more controversial than C-18. What will you be watching for with that? Yeah, it's another, another really great question. I, I think there's some expectation we'll, we'll see it in the fall, uh, although perhaps they will want to wait until this 
C18 issue plays itself out a little bit. But, you know, obviously C11 and C18 have both proven to be highly controversial. C11 during kind of its legislative life cycle, just during C10 and then C11. Uh, frankly, people should be paying more attention to what's taking place at the CRTC and within the policy direction right now. It, you know, and in some way, well, it's summertime, but even beyond that, people's attention have moved on a little bit to C18. But once this online harms or online safety, as the government will likely brand it, legislation appears, that I think will be even more controversial. And the reason for that is that fundamentally, that legislation, even more than C11 and C18, is about freedom of expression and and it and it it takes the position i think a reasonable one that there are certain kinds of expression that create sufficient harm that we do need rules to try to deal with them now we already have rules that may render certain of this this kind of speech illegal uh the argument would be that the intermediaries the platforms don't do enough or inconsistent in what they're doing and so we need some rules to try to to deal with that but Given the amount of interest and concern that both C11 and C18 have generated, largely coming out of concerns related to freedom of expression, well, the online harms or online safety bill is really nothing but considering how you deal with expression online. No one, no one is going to pretend otherwise. And the choices that we make will be challenging ones. There are no easy answers here. And note that even even the last proposal that the government put forward as part of a consultation that was roundly criticized, government wasn't very transparent about the submissions they got, but through an access to information request, I was able to get that information. And about 90% of Canadians who submitted as part of that consult were critical of the positions the government had taken. So we know these are really tough issues. And on those issues, that was dealing exclusively with content that or speech that was already regulated in some fashion hate speech or child endangerment and the like. Now, I I wonder, I, you know, I wonder and worry a bit what the reaction will be when the legislation either does or doesn't deal with misinformation or disinformation or a range of other kinds of speech that uh, often gets referred to as awful but lawful. Stuff that we have problems with it, we have concerns. It, it does raise real concerns. But the notion that we would treat terrorism content in the same way as as, as lawful content that may be inaccurate you know, I think will will raise certainly legal issues, will raise charter issues, and will prove to be enormously controversial. So, you know, essentially get ready for for a bill that I think the government itself knows is going to be extremely difficult to navigate. And it's one reason why it's the bill that's been kind of just sitting there in the background now for several years as they've waited for the legislation that they thought might be easier to get through um, as it's gone through its processes. And of course, both the prior bills have proven so controversial that one wonders whether or not Pablo Rodriguez was was anxious to go off and deal with high-speed rail rather than have to, to deal with some of these questions yet again, this time on speech related to online harms or online safety. Mm. And, and just to close, Michael, I want to ask you a question that I've been asking everyone for my media series, and that is about public trust. Uh, I know you're about to go on hiatus, your podcast, for, for the rest of the summer. And I'm curious what you'll be thinking about when you're on break. How do we begin to forge a robust, independent news sector in this country that is actually trusted by the public? 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. And uh, well, I'm hoping that for at least a couple of weeks, I don't think about C C18. Um, if you find, if I'm posting on the blog, then that's been a failure. But in, in any event, you know, I think trust is at the heart of a lot of these issues. And I raised it when I appeared before the, the Senate as well. And, you know, I, I don't think that that you can't have trust and have some government involvement in the sector. I think that I think that we can recognize that media and a successful sector that can hold government and others to account is a public good. And if the market is unable to fully support that public good, well, then you have to explore other mechanisms to do it. The problem is that the government has basically inserted the the, polit- the the desire for political wins, which I suppose is natural. I mean, that's what governments do. Um, but they're doing it in a manner that really exacerbates the concerns around trust. And, and I think you see it playing out with C-18 and the kind of media coverage we get around this bill. I mean, your series is, is notable in that it's one of the few places that have really brought together many of the voices that have raised concerns into a single place. And and, there's, and it's not the sort of, you wouldn't see those same voices typically aggregated it within mainstream media. Indeed, the coverage very often is one that uh, presents just one side of the story. And, and I don't think that's the reporters themselves, I actually think the reporters that we see at some of the major outlets do a great job and, and do their best to play it as down the middle as possible. But the editorial side of the story, most of the masthead editorials, the way in which these issues are framed, um, you know, and it's not just in ma- in some of the the mainstream so-called legacy players. It's some of the it's some of the on- newer online sources as well, who, especially in the last number of weeks, as they've seen some of their their content blocked, say, from Instagram or links to their content blocked on Instagram have taken it, you know, unsurprisingly, find it upsetting and taken it a bit personally. And so the coverage of it uh, has become skewed as well. I, I was reading one piece in an online, well-known online BC source, and, you know, they they did ask someone who was critical of the legislation, but it was notable that every critical comment was met immediately by a rebuttal from the author itself. And, um, you know, so there's a, a deep reluctance to, I think, cover this in a in a legit fair manner. You know, there's been this blurring of editorial and the business interests. And so when you talk about trust, I don't know how you could undermine trust any more than on an issue central to the business itself to the newspaper or to the news outlet itself it runs skewed coverage that reflects its own business interests and so when you see that why should anybody trust what they read if they if they know that self-interest is one of the drivers behind the editorial approach of some of these entities well of course that's going to undermine trust when we've got government that that disputes what is plain for anyone to see that in fact Media companies that are supportive of the legislation have pulled any punches, certainly on that bill with the government, because they want to curry favor with the government. And so it skews the coverage of how they cover the government or the relevant minister as well. I mean, this is just obvious, I think, to anyone who takes who has a fair reading. And at the end of the day, for those that come with fresh eyes to this, I think it does ultimately undermine trust in a way that will be very hard to rebuild because, you know, it is when it is those kinds of issues, issues that are fundamental to the business itself, if you can't cover those fairly, well, then it raises questions about what you will cover fairly. Well, Michael, I uh, I really appreciate your podcast. It is a must listen for anyone following these issues. I hope you have a wonderful summer break. 
<laughs> and thanks again for coming on today. Oh, awesome. This is uh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. is hosted and produced by myself, Tara Henley. If you value independent journalism, please consider subscribing to my Substack at tarahenley.substack.com.